All right, I've got some scriptures that I want to get through in relation to reward. And then I'm going to look at the church of Laodicea because there is a reward for those who overcome called sitting with him on his throne forever. I don't know if that excites you. It certainly didn't excite me until I got a revelation of it. When I got a revelation of it, then I realized what on earth I was missing out on. Because up until that point, it was just nice words on the page that went, oh yeah, that's cool. I get to sit with Jesus on his throne for eternity. Now what time's Liverpool playing? How are we getting on, Rodney? Are we, are we signing someone this year? You see, without revelation, these are just empty dead words. But with revelation, everything comes alive. And the Bible says there is a reward that Jesus is bringing to all those who live a kind of life. The problem with some of the teaching we've received is that we don't or haven't yet spoken about the conditions that come with being in Christ. So, so often we only know it's all unconditional. And we go, isn't it all unconditional? And you go, no, it's not. It's unconditional, then it becomes very conditional. So the free offer of love is unconditional. It's not based on you, it's based on him. But the reward is all based on the condition of your and my obedience. You understand that? So it goes from unconditional to being extremely based on conditions. And once you understand that, then all of a sudden you're apprehended by a reality because hopefully the inspiration and the revelation and the enlightenment of knowing that there's more in Christ than just die, you know, going to heaven, all of a sudden grabs hold of you. And so you're interested in what the, what the conditions are. Ah, what's the first condition of the marriage covenant that you're in with Christ? Do you know you're in a marriage covenant with Christ? No? 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 Love. Love who, Chris? Love the Lord your God. So you're in a covenant. The entire context for your relationship with Christ is a covenant of marriage. And covenants don't get broken, correct? They're not supposed to. He'll never break his covenant with you because it's a blood covenant. So the first instruction of that covenant is to love God with all you are. Like not a bit. With all, which means you're not loving others. Correct? To love God with all means you can't love anyone else but God because you're giving your all to God. Now, the problem is you can't actually keep that until you die and get born again, which is an issue, isn't it? Because if the reward is associated with the covenant, and the reward is associated with me keeping a covenant and I can't keep it, then I'm not going to receive a reward, am I? Fair call? Can you see how it's based on conditions now? And this is something that we don't tend to like too much because maybe we've only ever heard half the story and not the entirety of the story because God is expecting, looking for a grown-up, spiritually mature people, correct? Who are ready, faithful, and worthy. We've covered all this here. But this is what it means in reality. Like it's God is the God of the actuality. He's the God of the reality. He's not the God of the abstract that just puts out words and then goes, oh, whatever. Correct? He says, this is what I say, this is what's possible, this is what I'm looking for. Now my love covers the entirety, but I am looking for a people who are overcomers, who are no longer identifying themselves as sinners, but sons. 
Because I've moved from who I was to who I now am. So yes, I've come from being a sinner, but I don't identify myself as being as a sinner. I identify myself as being royalty. A son now who's knowing and growing in what it is to live a life of sonship. So at the end of that life, I can receive the reward that God has always had on offer to those who become disciples, not just justified believers. There's too many justified believers on this planet and not enough disciples. There are too many justified believers who just go through forms of godliness but never live like God. And the goal is to live as God lived, to walk in the shoes that he walked. 1 John 2, 6, if you don't believe me. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment today is to love one another as I have loved you. So it's fully possible for the church to be Christ-like. To say no to that is to be in unbelief. And to be in unbelief is to stay out of what he has for you because you actually reject what God has for you as a child of God. Can you see why Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, I want to circumcise your heart to bring you into life. So if there is no genuine spiritual work happening in our lives, we're going nowhere. Literally going nowhere apart from just being covered by blood. Let me read some of these scriptures to you in relation to reward. Colossians 3, 23 to 25. Listen to this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, wholeheartedly, as for the Lord rather than for men. Do you know people say to me, um, some people say to me in times, they're doing me a favor by serving here. You're not doing me a favor. You're not serving me. You're serving him. And that creates this almost like people want to thank you as if they're doing you a favor. You're like, what's that? Everything we are to be doing is we're doing it for him, are we not? Because of what he has done for us. It's like there's that passage, I think it's in Luke, where the servant comes in and they serve the master. And it's like, well, that's what servants do. They serve the master. They don't look for anything special or a thank you because that's their role. And we're all called to be bond servants. The word actually means slave, but it's a slave of righteousness, not a slave of sin. So we're actually called to be slaves of God. Do you like that? But it really means sons who know who they are, who their only purpose in life is to serve and work wholeheartedly for him in whatever capacity that is. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. So as you serve him wholeheartedly with the life that you've been given because you've given it back, Those who do that faithfully through obedience, through the power of the gospel, are going to receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. He repeats that to make it clear. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. What are you getting from that? Are you seeing that there is an expectation God has? And that if we don't live this life out from love of knowing him through his power, then there is actually going to be a consequence for not doing what we're supposed to have done. And you have to hear that from love, because if you're under the law, that can create condemnation. But we're not under the law, we're in Christ, so all the condemnation has been removed, so there's plenty of conviction, and the reason for the conviction is to get you going. It's to take you out of spiritual apathy and get you into spiritual life. That's just one passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So the reward is directly associated with your labor, your labor in Christ. People say, I don't think we're supposed to strive. No, not from the flesh, but you're supposed to strive from the power working in you. There is heaps that God has for us to be doing. Heaps. 
And this is what we've been looking at. But we have to do it from a particular life source called Jesus Christ in us, not out of our flesh and our fleshly ideas and good intention. So the reward is directly associated with our own labor. And we're not talking about living for ourselves. We're not, li- we're not talking about the dreams that I have when I'm a child. We're talking about that all dying and then laying hold of the life he's called us for, to be a seeker first of the kingdom and his righteousness and be living for God full stop. That's what the context of these scriptures that the reward is associated with. 1 Corinthians 3.14, If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Hebrews 11.24-26, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, which means the sufferings of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Do you see what the reward does, guys? Do you see what the future promises to the overcomer in Christ does? It enables you to say no to the pleasures of this earth. It enables you to say no when the culture of the world comes knocking, when the flesh comes calling to choose that over him, you go, no, because you're seeing something greater than the temptation that's coming your way. It frees you from you. And this man, Moses, could have had it all, couldn't he? But he chose no, because what he saw in the unseen one, which is the Christ, was greater than everything Egypt could offer. What about you? What are you bound in, Christ or Egypt? Is Egypt still bound in you? Because all Egypt is, is the world. And he took them out of Egypt, but Egypt came with them. That's why he had to take them in the wilderness to get Egypt out of their hearts and their minds. And as we know, two men only crossed over to the promised land. So the mission wasn't that successful of getting three million people into a promised land. Why? Because Egypt remained in them. Is Egypt in you? Is it being outworked of you in your heart and your thinking? Are you seeing everything that we are declaring so that you can leave Egypt and lay hold of Christ and start living for the reward? Because once again, the reward is on the basis of the condition of your obedience to a very specific and intentional plan, which is God's purpose and plan, not ours. Everything is based on the conditions of our obedience to Him and His purpose, which means if we don't know it, we are doing our own thing, expecting something that we may not be getting. Okay? This is how serious this is. 2 John 1.8 Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. You mean you can lose something? Yep. So John and the disciples were living a kind of life that was the manifestation of the demonstration of Christ in the hope that others would enter into fellowship with them and imitate, not copy, imitate this exact life. And that John's afraid that people weren't going to do it and miss out on the reward that's associated with the life that John and his disciples were living. What about Revelation twenty two twelve? Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Own labor, what every man has done, not what the guy or the person beside you has done, what you have done. Oh my goodness, have I done anything with the gift of life I was given apart from live for me and build my career and my empire? Because the reward is associated with a life that died, turned, 
and walked a completely different way into the kingdom of life, leaving the kingdom of death behind and living for him. That does not mean that I don't have marriage and children and work and sport. Does not mean that, but I'm not living for that. I'm living for him. You hear the difference? Because people say, oh, Greg, you're saying that we don't live in the... No, you live on earth, but you live from the eternal in your heart and mind. So you're not living for earth, you're living for his kingdom. But your whole mission, if you are married with jobs, is not those things as the primary goal. It's to see his kingdom established in the lives of the people that you are in working relationships with. Then you might go and be a great CEO or a great teacher or a great mum. But that is not what it's about. Primarily, it's about being in him and becoming like him and bringing the kingdom to earth through you. But if it's not in you, how can it come through you? Because you don't even know what it is. Because you're living for your own empire. And there must be a radical unhinging and an unlocking and a smashing and a literally propelling into this reality through the gospel. Not through saying yes to the message, but actually receiving the messenger. A church that only knows the message is a weak church. It doesn't have within it what it needs to live, what I'm talking about. A church that receives the messenger, the word of God daily, because that's what the prayer says, give me my food daily, is a church that's going to live what I'm preaching. And that's the church that's going to receive the reward that Christ has on offer, because Christ is bringing his reward, but it is unconditional on the way we have lived. This is why it is called the big picture, because it is the macro plan for us as his people and us as individuals. And people say, oh, but the reward's just Jesus. No, 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 no. The reward is way more than just Jesus. It's everything in Jesus. So yes, Jesus is the reward, but it's everything in Jesus, because I have Jesus now, but I want more. And it's every promise is yes and amen, and it's in Jesus. So it's not just enough to say you have Jesus. You need to have the entirety of Jesus so then no one can mislead you with empty philosophy because you have the person. So when you have the person, you recognize the lie when it turns up, correct? One and one equals three, eh, Sandra? No, why? Because Sandra knows one and one equals two. So she knows the truth, so I can't convince her out of that because she knows one and one equals two. So when you know the Christ, the messenger, and you're living in the messenger, then you have a life that demonstrates that. So what you're able to do is directly associate with what he says, and there's no hypocrisy between what he says and how you live, and that's where the reward is anchored. And so Christ is coming back to reward a faithful, obedient, whole, loving church that when he looks in accordance to his standard, his conditions based on the covenant, and it starts to be judgment time, because there's judgment for the church, correct? You don't know? You're going to stand before God and be judged for what you have done. You won't be able to go, every excuse, but I just bought a tractor, just got married, he's going to say, zip, you're standing before a holy God and you're about to receive your reward or not. It says if you measure yourself by yourself, you lack understanding. Two, if you want to write that down, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We're going to look at that when we get to the church of Laodicea. So if you really want to know where you're really at spiritually, ask the person beside you. If you know them. Ask people that you walk with and say, where am I really at spiritually? And then love the answer they give you back if it is truth. Because if we're for one another and we want everybody to receive the reward, then we can't be afraid of the true reality of where we're at, can we? We were talking about this last night is if, you're, if you actually aren't willing to learn and be teachable, you're never going to grow because you keep rejecting the reality when people come to help you to say, you know, you're not as you think you are. Or I see this, but you keep saying that and you're not in that. That's like your fake imagination. And I'm not saying that to hurt you. I'm saying that to help you. 
These are the conversations we have as elders all the time. Why? To help one another grow so we can walk in absolute alignment to Christ so then we can receive the reward. Because point zero 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 one off truth is still not the truth. And if that continues over time, I miss true north by miles. And so I want to know. I want to know if I'm in Christ. I want to know if I'm in the reality I'm in. So help me and I'll help you. But let's not get offended with one another when the truth comes to make us free. And we go, no, I don't like that. Because my insecurities start to manifest or my self, which still hasn't been crucified, starts to manifest because the spirit of humility is not there. Pride is still there. And maybe the word's coming to actually kill the pride that's in you, to release you from you. Can we go there, though? Most people can't. Because most people aren't in Christ enough to be able to go there. And we get offended and we walk away and we leave. That's why people leave churches. This is true. Because self is still living and self got hurt. But the guy that I follow went, Father, forgive. And he says, if you're in me, this, you can do this too. Like if you're really growing in the reality of Christ, you can do this. And then I read about a man named Stephen who went, Father, forgive. I read a man about Paul who went, Father, forgive. Momentary light affliction, all this persecution. And we're talking about being a real truth, not people getting hurt because you didn't invite them to your party. <laughs> or they didn't say hi to me on Sunday because maybe they were in prayer or something and they didn't see you. You see, this is such a reward, but it's a reward to the overcomer. It's not a reward just because you pray a prayer and invite Jesus into your life. It's to the mature son, the mature daughter, the one that actually truly lives the life that they've been called for, connected into a body and as an individual. So let's go have a look at Revelation three fourteen to 22. It's a message to Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Who's actually writing this letter really? Jesus. And we've said this before, but you get a letter from Jesus? <laughs> like, <laughs> open it up, that's a good start. You may not want to open up. You might want to leave it unopened. <laughs> but see, we're going to read it. Here's a letter from Jesus to this particular group of people called Laodicean Church. And Laodicea means people, and Dicea means opinions. So this was the church of the people's opinion. And what you're going to see is people's opinion go, oh, I'm not naked. I'm full of life. Because they were in people's opinion. But Jesus, who was the speaker of truth, went... Now, you're naked, blind, and wretched, and you're in need of spiritual help. But this church went, no, we don't, man. We're all good. And if you're going to say, I'm all good, then you better be able to back that up with a demonstration of life. Because anything outside of that is hypocrisy. And Jesus spoke to that very powerfully when he addressed the religious people. Don't be a religious person who says one thing but can't live what they say. There's no reward there. Love is covering it, but there's no reward there because you're a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I never wanted to be a Christian. Hence, I wasn't. Serious, I didn't want to be a Christian, so I wasn't. I wasn't going to play the game because I knew as a non-Christian, if I was going to be a Christian, I couldn't live the lifestyle I wanted to live. And I wanted to live the lifestyle I wanted to live. So I said no to Christianity because God came to me. You've heard the story. Now I used God to get me out of a jam, but I didn't want to be a Christian. That's how wretched I was. Hard-hearted. I'll take what I can get from God and use him because I am a sinner. I am selfish, self-centered, poisoned with something. And I'll thank him, but I'll build my life on it. But I didn't want to be a Christian because then I was going to have to give up A, B, C, and D, and I wasn't interested in that. 
Now what happened is when I got saved, God took that wholehearted person that didn't want to be a Christian and now he put his fire and his power in me and now I wanted to be a Christian. So the wholeheartedness as a non-Christian just transferred into wholeheartedness of being a Christian. I didn't go from being lukewarm. I didn't go from, oh yeah, I sort of believe, sort of believe this, but I don't really want to. You know, it's that, I think the most turmoiled person is the Christian that really doesn't want to live for Christ, wants to live for self, but knows they can't. And so you're stuck in this lukewarm position because you really don't want to live for him. You really want to live for your sin, but you know that's wrong, but you don't want to do that and you're stuck. And the Bible only describes two positions called lost and cold, but we've created lukewarm. We've created that through trying to appeal to the mind. So we appeal to the mind to get people in Christ. So they come into Christ through the mind and now they're straight into lukewarm because they read about something they can't live and they still want to go and do things they can't do. And they're stuck. It's horrible. Don't live there. Either go fill your boots in the world and realize there's nothing to it or throw your boots into Christ and realize he's the answer to all things. But don't sit on the fence because the fence is the demonic. The fence is his, meaning the adversaries. And you think you're sitting there and playing 50-50 each way, and he's going, gotcha, because you're on my fence. But you don't know it because you're becoming more and more lukewarm. And then you turn around to God and say, no, 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 I'm not this. But it's a letter from heaven signed by Jesus himself. And the evidence that you're in Christ is your ability to live as Christ. Not just say it. You've got to be able to live it, correct? You've got to be able to back up what you say. And that's the purpose of grace. You see, love, grace doesn't cover. Grace empowers. Love covers the multitude of sin. We even get this wrong. Love covers while grace comes along and empowers you. You see, are you saved by love or grace? And grace is power to take you out of being dead to propel you into life. While love covers. So grace is what crucifies you. Love is what covers you. And you need to be in both if you want to live the crucified, covered life so what you say and who you're becoming is one. And that's the beauty of time that God gives us to grow up under the covering of love. Because I don't want to be in a church and I certainly don't want to be building a church of man's opinions. No one needs to hear what I think. You need to hear what I know. And no one needs to know what you think or feel. They need to know what you know through revelation. So if you don't have revelation, and I say that out of love, why? Because people who also don't know will believe what you say. And then it's the blind leading the blind. Did you know this? Oh, really? No, I don't know. Well, that sounds good, so I'll believe that. Now you've just unintentionally led someone astray. You've unintentionally become a false teacher. And not even known it because you didn't speak from what you know. You spoke about what you thought or felt. That's why Paul says, I will not speak of anything unless he has accomplished it through me. So there is an obedience directly by the Gentiles. And this is the power of truly knowing the word of God and only speaking the word of God. So then you don't speak outside of your boundary. And that's why faith is the boundary in which you are to live. So faith sees, correct, through revelation. So I don't speak beyond my faith, but I eat and drink the word so my faith increases. So as my faith increases, I'm able to speak the word that is God, not my version of it. That's the authentic position that's rewarded. God's not going to speak or reward people who don't speak his word, who just think they do because they read the Bible. Anyone can get up here and quote scriptures and say the word of the Lord was read. Rubbish. These are just words on a page. The word's a person. And that person brings these words to life. But just because you get up and say John 14, 12 doesn't mean anything was spoken of the word. Because unless it's full of power, living, active, sharper, you've just read out words. Well, anybody can do that. And Paul said... Kingdom is not about words. 
It's about power. Power to change a life, which is the whole entire purpose of the messenger. So there is this church called Laodicea, and it's a really interesting dynamic because there are seven promises to the churches you see in Revelation, and these guys get a promise which is phenomenal, which really you take all the promises and it's just for the people of God. I want to read you this. It says, I know your deeds. So this is Jesus Christ saying, Church, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So he knows all things, doesn't he? He knows of your playing. He knows of you're the real deal. He knows of you're in him. He knows of you're not. He knows if you say one thing and live another. His love is covering you, but he doesn't want you to stay there because of what he has for us. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know, that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, once again, this is all about doing, isn't it? He's saying, I know your deeds. Now, what have we been looking at over the entirety of the last year and a half in relation to having the right garments on? So if you don't have the right garments on, which are the righteous acts of the saints, when you turn up, you're naked, thinking you're clothed. Because you haven't learned how to walk in Christ. You haven't learned how to be Christ-like. You actually haven't gone to the school of the Spirit, which is not in this building. It's just being with Christ and learned how to be a Christian the way He says you're to be a Christian. You've taken what He's done and then you've lived for you. But you've still gone through forms of godliness. Like you've part of a church, you maybe give money to the church, you serve in an area, you go through what Christians do called traditions and ceremony. We love that stuff, but we're not actually learning and growing in Christ, and so we don't know how to be Christ-like. And so then when we turn up, we're found naked and we don't have the right garments on. It sounds a little bit like Matthew 22, doesn't it? where the man is at the wedding feast and he's there and he doesn't have the right clothing on. And he's asked to leave the wedding feast. It's not heaven and hell. He's asking to leave the wedding feast, which is back on earth for the marriage of the Lamb. This entire message is throughout the entire gospel. If you have eyes and ears to hear and see it, it is laid out through every book so you can't miss it. But we do miss it because we're not learning in Christ through revelation. We are mentally trying to understand a book that we can't. And so we can't live. He says, I encourage you, what does he say? I urge you, look at the words, I don't know, rich and blind. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. What does that mean? So if you look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 16, what's the context of that, guys? Should we go have a look? Come with me to 1 Corinthians 3. That's right. The judgment seat of Christ, and it's a judgment for what, Nick? Yep, our reward. And it says you better be building on gold. Let's have a look. 1 Corinthians 3.10. 
according to the grace of God which was given me power, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Who's the foundation? But grace had to be given Paul, didn't it, to lay this foundation? Because he was growing in what? Judaism, which was opposite, wasn't it? So he's growing the opposite, going the opposite way. So he's got to be given grace to now go the right way. Do you know you need grace to go the right way? And he's laying this foundation called Jesus Christ. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. You must be careful in your own labors what you're building on, who you're building on. Is it of him? Is it inspired by him, centered in him, empowered by him? Or is it just your good intentions because you think that's what I was raised up to do and that's what good Christians do? That is futile. God is way more intentional than just doing some good works. It's God-led, inspired, centered works that come from the unseen realm into the seen. It's the things you can't do, not what you can do. Otherwise, what's the point of that? You get the glory. He wants you to know these works you can't do in you. So then all the glory goes back to God. Who's taking the glory for all the man-good works? We are. That is not the point in Christ. And so he's telling us this, be careful for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So do you actually have a revelation, not a mental agreement with the person Jesus Christ? Like, Is he actually your source, your foundation, and you've been removed? Or are you still the foundation that you've actually piled him on top of? You do not put anything else under the foundation when you build a house, do you? The foundation is the foundation in which the house gets built. But in Christianity, what you can do is you can ask Christ to come and he comes on top of you, which means you're the foundation, he's not. What's supposed to happen is this foundation is to come, or this foundation is to fall on that foundation and get broken into pieces. So now you actually have the foundation in you. So everything you live is coming from the source called Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Greg and me, tag Christ on. And that's all about Christ doing stuff for Greg, not Greg doing stuff for Christ. Because Greg's self is still living. And I use him as a resource. He's not my source, so he hasn't yet become my life, which enables me to walk in the alignment of what I'm talking about. Because I'm still at the center of me. And while I'm still the center of me, I can't love. The way I'm asked to love, which means I can't keep the covenant. Man, we need to get this. This is very, very, very serious because your reward is going to determine whether you can live this life out. And this is what Paul is saying. If anyone, if you want to study anyone, study Paul. He got it, man. That's why he writes 13 of the books because he went from being a man of the flesh to a man of the spirit. Because he got crushed and he received the person, not the message. Too many Christians only know the message and you do not know the messenger. So you say yes to the message, it's right, but it's a means to the person, the foundation that removes you as the foundation. So no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man's work will become evident. Truth is self-evident, correct? Your life is telling me who you know. My life is telling you who I know. Your ability to live is telling me who you're in because truth is self-evident. That came from my osteopath, that one. He says, Greg... Your physical body is telling you what is evident. You're out of alignment, which means your back is giving you issues because the fact that you can't do this and can't do that is the truth to your condition is self-evident. So to not be able to love yet is the evidence that I'm not in what? Truth. And you have to be apprehended by that and not just go, oh, it's okay because he loves me. If you want reward, because the life must be reflective of the reward. Otherwise, no reward. 
And this is what you're about to see. Because someone who's building on wood, hay and straw, when the fire goes through, gone. Okay, let's read it. Each man's work will become self-evident for the day will show it. What day? The judgment day for the church for reward, not wrath, reward. Because the, uh, the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Which is back to these other scriptures, isn't it? About being in your own labor, the one we read out before. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, when the fire goes through, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through the fire. Only because of what Jesus has done, though. Because what you've done, everything he's done. But he don't want you to stay there. He's going, come on, man, I want to build you. I'm the builder of my own house, and I'm going to build you with gold. I'm going to build you with solid mana myself. So when you stand before me, your life on earth has lived out what my word said they would live out. So when you stand before me, you're going to receive the reward because you lived it. Paul knew he was going to receive the crown of righteousness. That's how confident he was. He said, I'm going to receive it. And to all those who have loved the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, because when you get a revelation, he's coming back, your life will instantly align if it hasn't already, and you'll be walking in a life of obedience. Why? Because you know he's returning with something. And you don't do it because you want the reward. You do it because you're in love. So he says, I advise you to buy from me gold that's gone through a fire. Well, we don't want to go through fire. We want to avoid the fire. We want to dance around the fire. He goes, no, if you want life, you've got to come through the fire. I'm going to burn the dross that's in your heart and your mind. I'm going to circumcise the flesh in you that's still your mindset's. So you can be free of you and then live and lay hold of all that I have for you. I'm going to build you on gold, silver, bronze, precious stone. So when that fire goes through you on that judgment day, which is in your future, you're going to stand there and the glory of God is going to radiate from you because you were a minister of glory on earth. You went through trials and tribulations and sufferings and you sought a pure joy because you were in me and I was in you, son, and you glorified my name. So well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you just prayed a prayer, because you lived the life that I called you to. So come over here because you're about to receive a reward, which is taking you into the next phase of my kingdom. Oops, sorry church over here that actually live for themselves. You're over there, you're suffering loss where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because we're not yet in the new heaven and the new earth, which is the context for there's no weeping of teeth. This is good, eh? See, I just share with you what I go through every day. (laughs) You ask the guys that are next close to me, walk with me. These are the things that the Holy Spirit shows and addresses and he goes, and you're like, what do I do with this? He says, in time, speak. But don't speak till it's revealed. Don't speak about half-truths because I sort of see sort of see a guy that sort of looks like a tree, but he's not really a tree because all of a sudden you start the men are like trees ministry. <laughs> Everyone believes it because people don't know whether men are trees or not because it sounds great. And you're very persuasive with your words. But Paul said, I'm not a man of persuasive words, but I am a man of power. And I bumble sometimes my words and I get the words wrong. I know I do. The word wrong word comes out. They go, I don't think that's even a word. Because you're trying to articulate something that is the word and spirit, but English just doesn't cut it. 
Hebrew doesn't cut it. Greek doesn't cut it. No natural language cuts it because it has a language all of its own. And this church missed it. Why? Because they said, no, we're all good. Jesus backed the truck up. You're a bit intense. (laughs) You're a little bit over the top when you ask for all. Now, let me tell you, Jesus, how this is going. I'll give you some. Let's negotiate this deal. He says, see ya. Anyone else? Anyone else want to follow me? Anyone else want to pick up and come to their death and let me resurrect them from the dead? Anyone else want to live a life that is not earthly, that's eternal? Anybody, I search the earth to and fro until my son returns, looking for a people who will be my entire possession. For I am their husband, for I have bought them with a price, and I'm looking for a wife for my son. Any volunteers, anyone to put your hand up and say, yes, we're in, but it will cost you your entire life. You cannot bring your life with you. You have to leave it at the door and walk. Mm, Sounds a little bit uncomfortable. Yep, it is because I don't have a pillow to lay my head. I don't have a glamping tent. I lay on bricks, I go to people's homes and they let me in. I don't bring a bag, I don't bring money, I don't bring a belt, I don't bring resource that I trust in because I have the source with me and in me. So it's all about our acceptance of the offer. Then you see these words, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Because I see you in the spiritual state of apathy and death, I'm going to discipline you. A good parent disciplines their children, correct? Apparently, I'm one of the meanest parents on the planet. And one of the most strictest planet... uh, Planets. (laughs) Probably am a planet inside my own head. Strictest parents. Why? Because I don't allow things that other parents do. That's not fear. I said, no, I'm not pampering. I'm parenting. It doesn't go down too well because it doesn't matter. And I'm trying to explain this is for you. And love is for you. So love at times says no. Rather than just yes, 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 because I need something from you for you to be happy, which is the world we live in, isn't it? Little Johnny has to be okay all the time. And if he's not, oh, my goodness, what's that wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. And so I discipline my kids. They don't like it. I don't like it when God disciplines me, but I've come to love it. Have you? You don't necessarily like it, but you love it. Why? Because you know it's good for you. You know it's going to bring you into something. It's like, and the more you actually see, the more you go, discipline me. Like, come on, like, are there more things? And so then you invite it. He says, Therefore, be zealous and repent. Well, I did that 22 years ago. Uh uh. It's a life of repentance. And there is a repentance that isn't sorry, yeah? Like, we actually have to find before we even start, really, this godly repentance. Which let me, let me read you what real godly repentance is rather than I'm sorry for my sin. Because unless we've journeyed through this, we probably haven't even repented. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Now that's love. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. When you start to realize that what you're looking for in life isn't cutting it, and you're running out of options, like self is starting to run out of options, it brings you to this place of being sorrow, which points you to this thing called repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. 
So everything has to be connected to the will of God, not just, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get that thing, and I'm really upset. So there's a sorrowful that brings you to a repentance in alignment to God's will, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. It propels you into life. And repentance continues to repel you into life. It's, Lord, I do not yet have the full mind of Christ. So, Lord, renew my mind, renew my mind, renew my mind. I lay the unrenewed mind of my stinking thinking down, and I ask you to renew my mind through the Word of God, which is spirit and truth, and reveal it and so I can see and understand and live. That's the way you learn. It's not studying the scriptures through the human intellect, thinking you're going to get something. That leads you into death. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with me on my Father's throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who overcomes receives the reward. Only. Not everybody. The overcomer. Not those who are overcome. The overcomer. Love is holding you. Love can heal you while things happen in your life. It's tough. You may have gone through things that were horrendous, but I know someone that wants to heal that heart. I know someone through the releasing of forgiveness. I know someone who actually wants to do what he said he'll do and bring you out of darkness and into light and live a life full of light continuously. I've gone through stuff. I've dealt with heartache. You know, I've had a marriage that lasted three and a half years. That destroyed me. It was the greatest day of my life and it destroyed me. It killed me. It wasn't easy. And getting through that's not easy. But I ran into someone that said, Greg, I'll help you. I'll give you. I'll empower you. I'll do a work. If you'll surrender and give your life, I'll do a work in you and we'll go this way together so then you're able to live a kind of life that you couldn't live before. And so it's to the overcomer, I will grant, it's a promise. Now it's not next to him, it's on his throne with him. What does that sound like? Oneness, marriage, unity. And what do you think you're going to do from that place? You're going to reign. But to get to that place, you've got to have the right garments on. You've got to have lived the right life. You didn't just get it because you prayed a prayer when you were 16 or 29. You have to live a life of righteousness. You can't just say I'm righteous and then not live a life of righteousness. For the purpose of making you right is to live a life of righteousness. And a life of righteousness is a life that is right aligning to Christ. And it's not doing things in your own strength, in your own will. It's completely doing everything the way he says it needs to be done, empowered by him. So he gets the glory, not you. But you are the recipient of the work of God, so glory is formed within you, which enables you to overcome. Can you hear that? He does it. You're the recipient of it. What you do is surrender and yield you and allow him to kill you and then give you brand new life. And then you're able to walk out a life of glory because we're called to be ministers of glory, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. And we're supposed to be going from glory to glory to glory. Apparently, we're supposed to be going from faith to faith because the gospel takes us from faith to faith, which means sight to sight to sight, which means glory to glory to glory because I left being a sinner and now I'm a son. And now I'm growing as a son. I'm not moping around as a sinner. 
just surviving life because I'm learning from Christ. They said, who is this man? He was uneducated. (laughs) He was very educated. He just never went to the school of your school. They looked at the disciples and they said, recognized them as being with Jesus. And they were able to live a kind of life, correct? Which we go, wow, the early church. No, it's just the church. It's who we're supposed to be. We honor this early church thing. As if these people were special. No, it's just the church. The church should have always lived this way. And you get to see how off north we've got through trying to teach ourselves rather than going to the school of the Spirit. Because it says by now, guys, that we shouldn't need anyone else to teach us. Correct? So if you go back to lockdown, what was the word I gave us as a family? I'm not going online. Why? Because, Greg, don't go online. I want the Holy Spirit to teach my people. I don't want people looking to you. I don't want them going online. I don't want them looking at man to get their resource. I want them looking at me. Because by now, which was about 4,000 years ago, that's a prophetic word that should be living out. Because if you're all going to the source, you're getting it directly from the horse's mouth, and that's where you find life. But that's a massive challenge, isn't it? Because you might not even know who the source really is. And I can see you, Greg, but I can't see him. And I'm not saying that we don't need one another, but my role is to point you to the source. And I've been doing that for 11 years. Don't come here. You go there. No, but I want to go here. No, but I'm not. I'm I'm sorry. I'm seeing you. Bye. You're supposed to be. I'm not going. I'm I'm getting out of your way, and I don't want to be in your way because I'm pointing you to the source. Don't you dare put that pressure on me. And I won't put it on you. This is what he's doing. This is what he wants to do. Why? So come judgment, my life is reflective of what he said. Will yours be? What will he say when you stand in front of him? Will it be a glowing report? Will it be a, oh, poor, mate, you blew it. I saw the times when you said yes and you wanted to, but your flesh kicked in. I saw your spirit was willing, but your flesh, you hadn't let me crucify it, son. And so your flesh chose you over me. I'm sorry. You can't receive reward. You're going to be with me, but you're not reigning with me. And that is a good father. If he does anything but that, he's a liar and he's not trustworthy. So he must be righteous. I remember him speaking this about three years ago in the staff meeting. He said, tell the people I must be who I am. I must be true to who I am. I can't throw you a grace card come the day because then I'm not trustworthy and I'm a liar. Tell them, son, tell them I must be righteous which means we must become the righteousness of God, which we've become if we've received as Christ through power, and then we must live a life of righteousness so we can receive a reward. And that's just one. That's one of the promises to which there are many. Amen. Father, just, you're so good, and you're so patient, and you've been patient with me for so long. Thank you for your love. I pray today, Lord, it's another day to realize and be aware of a reality that's for us. That if we would leave all things and seek you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, we will find you in a way that we haven't yet known you, which will radically alter our ability to live and be one with you. 
Lord, I pray for absolute surrender and yielding to you and to your process of building and that we would seek right now and not seek ourselves. That life would not be too much for us and that we would be overcome by life, but that your life in us would overcome life and empower us to live a Christ-centered, inspired, led life as sons of the Most High God. We ask this in Jesus' name.